of that remnant. And so I pray, Lord, that today that, that they would not be, be disappointed that uh, they came to hear your word proclaimed, your truth proclaimed. They could have just stayed home and turned on the television if they wanted fake news. But they want true news, the good news of salvation through Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that you would uh, cancel the man, that you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so I would not lead anyone astray. And just... uh open our hearts and minds to receive truth from your word and empower us uh, to apply these truths to our lives so we can be all that you called us to be. And as Paul says in his letters, um, and so I just, I also pray, Lord, for uh, grace and peace uh, on our people, on the people of Trinity Bible Fellowship. I thank you so much for the people that are here and uh, their love for you their love for your word and your, their love for, for God's people. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Let's say, okay, so this is the grace and peace, Paul's benediction here that we're going to be looking at. And, um, uh, and then we'll be receiving the Lord's Supper after the message. Once we complete, once we complete this, we'll be moving on next week to a, next few weeks of Christmas messages and spend a little bit of time in the Gospels before we pick it up again at uh, 1 Timothy in Paul's letters in our overview of the Bible. But, um, but just remember where we're at with 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Paul was only, when he led them to Christ and planted the church, he was only there for three weeks. He had to flee because of persecution. And eventually he sent Timothy back. But these guys only got three weeks of instruction and Paul had a big, heavy emphasis on uh, the second coming of Christ. And this was 2,000 years ago. So if you talk a lot about the end times, don't let people accuse you of not being very spiritual. Now, if you talk about the end times all the time, and then you live like a, a sloppy non-believer, okay? If you're a, uh, a moral train wreck, yeah, then, then somebody needs to confront you, okay? But um, uh, also, you know, you don't want to talk about the end times and neglect the doctrine of salvation and who Jesus is. That, those are the most important things. But once you recognize that Jesus is God, the Son, become a man, and that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for you, and there's no uh, other way for us to be saved but through Jesus, and then we find out he's coming back, that becomes very, very, very important. Now, he couldn't explain everything as thoroughly as he'd like, so they got some misconceptions there uh, when he left. And he sent Timothy, and, you know, Timothy would let them know, man, these guys are people of faith, hope, and love. I, ho I, I hope if, if Paul were able, you know, we go back 2,000 years with our church, if Paul were able to visit us, would he call us people of faith, hope, and love, people willing to suffer for Christ? Because that's what Paul, that, the way he spoke about them. Remember when Paul disrespected the Thessalonians in Acts chapter 17, it was only the Jews in Thessalonica that rejected the gospel message that were beating up Paul and any, any Thessalonians who accepted his message. So the Thessalonians were getting like probably like an A minus, and we'll find out why it wasn't an A plus, and um, the Thessalonian believers, 
But the Thessalonian persecutors, yeah, Paul did not have a lot of respect for them. Now, the Jewish leaders in Berea, town about 100 miles away or so, if I remember right, uh, they examined the scriptures to see whether Jesus really was the Messiah. So, they, so the leaders in Berea and the Berean synagogue were coming to Christ. The Thessalonian synagogue leaders, they didn't come to Christ, but uh, many of the uh, Jews and Gentiles did. And, and Paul could say, man, you're people of faith, hope, and love. Um, they, they had some concerns, though. They're, they're deceased loved ones. They were mourning and freaking out. Oh, no, they missed the return of Christ. Does that mean they miss heaven and all? And Paul's like, no, when Jesus returns, he will bring our deceased, believing loved ones with him. Be comforted by that. We don't grieve like the world grieves. They grieve without hope. We do grieve. We do miss our loved ones, but we grieve with hope. Uh, but their main problem was um, they thought that Jesus could return uh, at any moment. They thought with the persecution that they were under um, that some of them thought, you know what, uh, why even work? I don't need to work. Jesus could come back tomorrow. And so they were quitting their jobs and um, and uh because of you know Paul has to tell them where we just got done last week if any man will not work need to let him eat if you're healthy enough to work you need to work and support your family they're like well no you know it's all about the Jesus return i'm just going to preach on a street corner and then i can mooch all off of my less spiritual christian friends who are still working who still care about their physical needs and so you go there and become a busybody and mooch off of them and um and, and Paul's saying, no, no, if you won't, any man will not work, neither let him eat. Paul told him the day of the Lord would come like a thief in the night to those who don't believe. But believers know the signs that precede Jesus' return. So we will not be caught off guard. He mentions this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 6. He tells them that believers will be spared from God's wrath at the day of the Lord. Now, the guy, I believe God's wrath follows the tribulation, and, you know, there's a debate about that, but we'll be spared from God's wrath. But when Satan comes, gets kicked out of heaven, he comes with his wrath, um, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. And, um, uh, but when Jesus returns, he will rescue the, the church and punish nonbelievers with everlasting destruction. He tells us that in 1 Thessalonians, um, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. He doesn't punish them with the tribulation period. He punishes them with eternal destruction. It's after the tribulation when Jesus returns and he'll rescue the church and punish nonbelievers with everlasting destruction. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 4, he tells them that the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him, which he calls the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him will not occur until after the apostasy, until after the false church rules, uh, after the, the, the true church apostatizes. And so it'll be the true believers, the remnant, you know, we're not going to be advertising anywhere. They come to our church building and this and that. And we're going to have to be meeting in hiding and the only churches that will be meeting in public will be false churches, which will eventually be worshiping the Antichrist as God, a demon-possessed man. Um, but the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him, Paul says, will not occur until after the apostasy, 
and the Antichrist is revealed. Not before, but after. So he's telling them, guys, you know, you're not going to have to quit your job when Christ's return is really, really near. Nobody's going to employ you. You can't buy or sell. It's going to be the mark of the beast. And uh, uh, But until that point, you know, you do what God's called you to do. You work. You take care of your families. And, uh, and then uh, Paul told the Thessalonians the Holy Spirit will stop. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. It's the early church actually thought it was maybe the Roman Empire or the government, but the Holy Spirit will stop restraining the Antichrist from being revealed. Then the Antichrist will be revealed and he'll claim to be God while in the temple and demand to be worshipped. We know from Revelation he'll institute the mark of the beast, the 666 on the right hand or the forehead, and then Jesus will defeat the Antichrist when he returns. Okay? And so Paul had to remind them in the passage that we just got through that uh, if any man will not work, neither let him eat. If you're healthy, you ought to either be working or looking for work, okay? And uh, yes, we're supposed to honor our parents. If they get too old to work, we're supposed to try to take care of them. Uh, we're supposed to help widows and orphans. We're to help, supposed to help disabled people. And I think we should help healthy guys that are out of work if they're really honestly looking for work. You know, find some stuff around your house that they can do and you can pay them a little bit and then try to see if there's a job you can help them find. Uh, but the idea that um, that you just, you could be healthy, not work, and, uh, and then just mooch off the other Christians because you think Christ's return is near, Paul says, no, you don't do that. That's not honoring to God. Um, you know, some saints have been asked, what would you be doing um, if you knew Christ was going to return tonight, what would you be doing right now? And, and many saints throughout history have said, I'd be doing just what I'm doing right now. Okay? So live, live each day doing what God's called you to do. Okay? And, um, you know, the day's going to come when if you're a, a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ, you, nobody's going to employ you. And, uh, and then with the mark of the beast and stuff. But those, that, those days have not yet come. So we work hard. We work for the Lord and we give him the glory and we thank him for the jobs we have. Um, but the main reason why we live, we live to preach Jesus. By the way, if, um, if a guy's not working, living off the taxpayers, the hardworking taxpayers' money, and he's healthy and he's been offered jobs and he keeps turning them down because he's too lazy... And then he preaches the gospel. First thing people are going to come, is going to, come to their minds, why should I listen to him? He's not even pulling his own weight. And he's telling me, turn to Jesus and Jesus will deliver me. You know, that's one of the number, one of the top objections to Christianity is, uh, is us, is hypocrites. You know, that's why C.S. Lewis said that the best argument against Christianity is the church, uh, is Christians. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. It just depends which Christians you're hanging out with, you know? And um, Jordan Peterson's reading C.S. Lewis, and, and he says he hasn't, people don't, Christians don't live like Jesus really is who he says he is. 
Well, he just needs to hang out with the right Christians. And hopefully we're the right Christians. Hopefully when people, people, people don't see Phil Fernandez and say, wow, a perfect guy. No, they don't. They, they know, they go, okay, the guy's got issues, okay? But it's my hope and my prayer that they'll say, okay, the guy's got issues, but he loves, oh, how he loves Jesus. And how, oh, how he loves us. Even if they're non-believers, I want them to see that God loves them. That's why I tell everybody, God bless you and be safe. Try to let them know. And it, op it opens things up with, the, with some of the boxers that I box at. These guys are, they don't have the cleanest language in the planet. And sometimes we'll sh show up and smell a little, a little bit like pot when they step in the ring. And, and, uh, but me and the other Christians that are there, we let them know that we love them. And God bless you. You want to see big, rough guys with six-pack abs on each other. They love each other and stuff like that. It's happening. So God's doing something there. And, uh, but um, hopefully people will see that in us. Uh, I hope and pray that uh, when people see members of our church, that they'll, they'll say, oh, oh, how those people love Jesus. Oh, how they love others. Okay? Try, try proving to somebody that God loves them if you don't love the guy. It's just not going to happen. Okay? But... Um, I'm hoping people would say, Trinity Bible Fellowship, oh, yes, yeah, a church that weeps with those who weep and rejoices with those who rejoice. And, um, and so now here's Paul. He starts all of his letters with grace and peace, and he ends all of his letters with at least grace. Well, you know, the last verse here in, in this book um, is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's exactly word for word the same thing that he said in verse 28 of, of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, the last verse there. Paul ends, I looked through it this morning just to be sure, every one of his letters. Now, some people think he wrote Hebrews. I don't think he did. Lots of reasons why. I think it was one of his colleagues, but, but it doesn't have the Pauline introduction or the Pauline closing. It's a higher level of Greek. It shows some training in... Um, in uh, Greek philosophy, um, and, um, and the author says he never met Jesus. He said that he was preached to by people who had known Jesus, and God confirmed the message was true through signs and wonders through them. So I believe every one of Paul's letters, the 13 letters of Paul, he starts all of his letters with grace and peace, and he ends um, all his letters with at least you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. With at least grace. Um, but with some of them, like this one, he also throws in peace, even at the ending, especially when the, uh, the readers are suffering. And, um, and, and so this benediction here, verses 16 to 18, it's Paul's closing blessing. And let's, let's read that right now. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Now may the Lord of peace, man, I like that. It's, you know, Koryos for Lord, so that's Yahweh really is. Now may Yahweh of peace, Yahweh Shalom. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. You know, if, if Paul was a Muslim, he wouldn't be saying that. 
I don't think anybody in their right mind would call Allah the Lord of Peace. You kidding me? Okay. But our God is a God of peace. In a world where we can't find peace, we find peace when we come to the manger. When we come to a hill called Calvary, when we come to a wooden cross, when we come to the empty tomb, we find peace in the Lord Jesus. That's why in this uh, Christmas season, you know, we call him the Prince of Peace. Look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah writes this, For unto us a child is born. That's what Christmas is all about. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. That hasn't happened yet. It will happen when King Jesus comes back in power and in glory. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Jesus is God. Everlasting Father. He's not God the Father. He's not the first person of the Trinity, but he's the everlasting creator. And uh, a less common word for father is used there in the Hebrew. But he's called the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He'll rule over the whole world and then eventually over the whole universe. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom... Uh, to order it and establish it with ju judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus will bring peace to the planet Earth, and he will sit upon the throne of David. The throne of David is not in heaven. Jesus at the Father's right hand in heaven. The throne of David is in Israel. It's in Jerusalem. We're finding our college campuses now, and... Uh, are siding with, you know, I don't trust any government, neither the American government anymore, even the Israeli government. I don't trust, uh, they're all a bunch of evil demonic governments. But the Jewish people, you're going to celebrate that innocent women and children are being killed by terrorists to further their political goals? And um, I'm glad the University of Pennsylvania made their uh, their president and... Um, and uh, some other bigwig over there had to resign because when they testified before Congress saying, no, it's a, that's a freedom of speech issue. That's a freedom of speech issue if, uh, uh, if you're saying that you're all for Jews being slaughtered, innocent Jews being slaughtered by terrorists. We're all for that. Uh, no, that's protected by the freedom of speech. Now, keep in mind, these are the same schools that expel people if you call somebody by the wrong pronoun. Okay, this is madness. Okay, you know, a culture can either, you can either bend the knee to the God who created the universe or eventually you end up with insanity. And it's insanity now. Uh, a local school district, um, two guys showed up for school in one of the public schools in our county 
that said, um, a church that said there is only one gender. I mean, there's only two genders. There's only two genders. I'm not good at math. Give me a break here. Okay. We're stealing with single-digit numbers right now. So. Um, but there are only two genders. And then uh, uh, so the teachers wanted to expel them and this and that and everything. And so the, the um, district had to make a decision. They, the, the decision was, even though we don't like it, what, what, you don't like the truth? You don't like obvious truth? Didn't your parents tell you about the birds and the bees? And, uh, but even though we don't like it, it's protected by freedom of speech. Well, then, when that was reported to a friend of mine who's a Christian to his school, all the teachers were in outrage that we would allow such a thing. That we would allow people to walk the halls with a shirt that says there are only two genders. And, um, you know, but the government someday will rest on Jesus' shoulders when he comes back. And he will shepherd the nations with an iron rod. Okay, not, not a flower, an iron rod. Okay, and so Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's, that's why I don't like the United Nations. The United Nations thinks it's going to bring peace through, through uh, man's, uh, uh, man's wisdom. Do you know America was the only nation at the last UN meeting that sided with Israel? All the other nations of the world that meet at the UN all voted to force Israel to, to enter a full-blown ceasefire. In other words, you can, call, you can come and slaughter our people. We're not going to allow you to retaliate. And, uh, and believe me, I don't think, if the best friend on planet Earth that Israel has is America, wow, friends like that, who needs enemies? So, uh, um, so it's a crazy time. The Bible says in the last day, all nations will invade Israel. The Bible says in the last days, every nation will hate Christians and persecute Christians. So it's getting hot in the kitchen, okay? There's a lot of pastors in this county right now that are talking fluff to their people. And um, anytime the government uh, gets more and more anti-Christian, they kind of change the way they interpret the scriptures and water things down and stuff like that. Uh, look, we got to be ready. And Jesus has told us the signs that precede his coming. We should not be caught off guard. And uh, we're going to be caught off guard if we're going to be playing games with Jesus. And, um, but Paul tells us, you know, he tells the Thessalonians, may the Lord of peace give you peace. Okay, the word in peace in the Greek is Irene. You know, people are named Irene. That's what it means. In the, in the Hebrew, it's shalom. It means kind of like whole, wholeness, being, being wholesome, being, having a freedom from hostility. Uh, it talks about being in harmony and at peace, not just with God, but with your fellow man and, uh, and with yourself. Some of us are not at peace with ourselves. We're not who we want to be, and it frustrates us, or we don't have enough stuff or whatever it might be. Uh, but God can give us freedom, not only uh, and peace with him, uh, and freedom from hostility with others. And that's what we're supposed to have in the church, by the way. We're not supposed to be having fistfights in church. 
you know, if, the, if somebody from the world comes into our church and we're just screaming at each other and treating each other like trash, believe me, they know they can get better fights like that at the bar, local bars, okay? We're not, we shouldn't compete with them on that. But a family of love, a family of peace is what they should see. So you might say, well, Jesus bring a peace to the earth. I don't see the peace here. You should see it in the church. But until others bend the knee, Paul, Paul could say, if possible, so long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Okay? Apparently, uh, David couldn't find a way to have peace with Goliath. Okay? So, so things don't always work out. Okay? Um, when King Jesus comes back, he'll bring peace to the earth. Not the United Nations. That's just a, a return to the Tower of Babel. Man trying to save the planet on his own without God. Build, build things on the, the wisdom of man. It's like the false prophets in um, Jeremiah saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Okay? Um, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said, man, we just, things are going great in America. We have peace in America. Our government loves the church. I'd be lying to you. Okay? But I'd also be lying to you if I told you our godless government is winning and Jesus is losing. It's going to get hot in the kitchen. The last I heard, Jesus is still king. Nobody, nobody's going to knock off my king. Okay? And, um, and so this, this peace, this freedom from worry... You realize, you know, he's going to talk about grace a little later and all, but, but peace is one of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. God wants to give you his peace. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, God wants you to experience his peace. And some of us just don't. Because, you know, we've, we've made peace with God by trusting in Jesus for salvation. Uh, but some of us are not at peace within. Some of us uh, are not at peace with, with our neighbors and all. And again, if your neighbors hate Jesus, the more you love Jesus, the more they're going to hate on you. And then what does God's word say in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You love those who persecute you, and you pray for them, okay? But, um, you know, Daniel, I think it's chapter 9, uh, verse, uh, it's either, I think it's, it's in verses 24 to 27, but he says, even to the end, there will be war. Don't let the UN fool you. There's been more wars since the UN started than me before it. And... Um, um, the world's peace is often a false peace. It's temporary, and it always comes with a price. We'll give you peace, but we're going to take away a little bit more of your freedom. Okay? And um, kind of the world's peace, the best it can do is when they pat you down at the airport, TSA, you're more secure, and you feel like, well, I think things are going to be peaceful. I don't think there's going to be any, any, uh, any, any terrorists, terrorists trying, to trying to take down this plane, but you sure do lose a lot of 
a lot of freedom. The world's peace. You know, look at John 14, 27. John 14, 27. Jesus said this, the night he was betrayed, he told the apostles, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. See, God's peace isn't temporary, it's eternal. God's peace isn't false, it's a true peace. Antichrist is going to give a peace, it's a false peace. Or either he says peace and safety, then destruction is going to come. But God's peace is eternal, it's a true peace, and it comes without a price. You just trust in Jesus, he paid it all. He paid the price for you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, I talked to, I was at Carl's uh, birthday party yesterday, and I saw this uh, young kid, uh, looked like a movie star, he dark hair and a bushy, dark mustache, he was lean and muscular, and I don't know, about six foot tall, and, um, and he said, you don't remember me, uh, uh, I saw you, I met you at one of these, one of Carl's parties years ago, and um, the guy's in his like early 20s and all, but, um, uh, but he had met me when he was 10, and he took a liking to me, so he went into Marine Corps, for four years till he got kicked out for not taking a medical procedure. And, um, uh, but, um, you know, it came, it came at a cost there and all. But, but here is this, uh, this young guy telling me um, that he had met me years ago, but um, I just, just seeing the guy and thinking, wow. Our military just tossed them aside. Uh, by the way, the military is now trying to get these guys back. And most of them are saying, no, take a hike. And, um, but the, the peace that the world gives, it comes with a price. It's temporary, and more times than not, it's false. We need to stand, stand with Jesus and not be afraid and stand up for what is right. And, uh, but, but Paul said, may the Lord of peace. This is not Allah, the God of Islam. This is the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. May the Lord of peace give you peace. The Lord be with you. Okay? Now, in verse 17 of this passage in 2 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, then he says, this salutation, this closing of my letter, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. See, Paul was important enough to have scribes. He dictated his letters to the scribes, and they wrote them down. But he got in the habit of closing each in his own handwriting. Now, one of the reasons why he might have done that, okay, if you look back in, um, in uh, 2 Thessalonians, Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, 
Paul says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away, the apostasy of the church, comes first, and the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition. But you notice there in verse 2, he, he says, don't let anybody mislead you either by spirit, some spirit entity or a vision or a prophecy or by word or by letter as if from us. Apparently, it, uh, they received a false letter, a counterfeit letter. And so one of the reasons why Paul had to, to write the closing, the salutation in his own writing was so people would recognize, yeah, this is really from Paul, okay? And, uh, and so Paul gave the, the uh, closing in his own handwriting because of forged counterfeit letters, okay? And then verse 18, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and again, the Lord there, it's kurios, but the most likely way for the Greek translation, the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the most likely way for the translators to translate Yahweh, the I am who I am, the eternal God who is in covenant with the nation of Israel, the most common way to translate Yahweh in the, new, in, in the Greek Septuagint, Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament 200 years before Christ walked the earth, was with the word kurios. Now, kurios doesn't always mean God. It can mean a human lord or a landlord or a political leader. But in a religious context, it only means one thing. You know, Jesus says that on the last day, saying to calling him Lord isn't enough. Okay. You can't just pay lip service to Jesus. You've got to really believe, and if you really believe, it's going to change your life, and you're going to do the will of God the Father. Why would he say people would call him Lord, Lord on the last day? Because Koryas there is being used of Yahweh. And that's what, what's Paul doing here. He calls Jesus our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the God of the Bible the God of Israel, and he is also the Christ, the Messiah, the, anoint, the one that God anointed and sent into the world to rescue the nation of Israel. Now, he's going to rescue her. Now, spiritual salvation is through faith in Jesus. In the last days, the remnant of the Jews is going to turn back to the Lord and trust in Jesus. That'll be the final domino to fall that will usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ to the planet Earth, um, um, but uh, that's when Jesus will physically rescue Israel. When all nations are invading Israel, Zechariah 14, 1 to 5, then the Lord my God will come, Yahweh, my Elohim will come and, uh, and fight for his people. And, um, but Jesus is the savior of all mankind, but he is the Messiah of the Jews. Now, most Jews have done what? They've rejected their Messiah. But pray for them, okay? The meanest thing I think you can do, 
to a Jew and some horrible physical things have been done to them. But I actually believe the meanest thing you can do to a Jewish person is to uh, tell them that they don't need Jesus to go to heaven. Okay? I wouldn't do that to my worst enemy. Jew or Gentile, you need Jesus. We have some false preachers that say the Jews don't have to trust in Jesus to be saved. That's the theological term for that is baloney. Okay? Um, everyone, I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, tall or short, okay? You need Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He saves us by his grace. And Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's charis in the Greek. Uh, we get our word charity from it, God's unmerited favor. When you give somebody charity, you're giving them something that they didn't earn. Salvation is something we could not earn. We're not perfect, okay? God has only one standard for righteousness. It's the perfect righteousness of his son. So on the judgment day, the judgment is going to be all based on, on the righteousness of Christ. When you stand there and filthy, your own righteousness is filthy rags, but if you trust in Jesus for salvation, his righteousness is credited to your account, and that gives you entrance into heaven. If you want to stand in your own righteousness, your filthy rags, you're going to be measured against the righteousness of Jesus. And believe me, everybody's going to come short of that, okay? And, um, but he's wishing, wishing God's grace upon uh, them all, God's favor. Um, grace is charis in the Greek. It means unmerited favor. It's the opposite of debt. It's like instead of saying, you, gotta, you owe me some, you got to pay your debt, the debt has been paid for in full. And for us, our debt has been paid for in full by the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And um, so he, he gives them the, God's blessing, the blessing of God's favor upon uh, the believers and their lives, okay? Yes, you know, we need to wish God's saving grace upon each other, but there's all, you still need grace even after you're saved. You still want God's favor throughout your life? How many people trust in Jesus for salvation and then start doing stupid, sinful stuff? God's favor, you know, assuming they're, they're genuinely saved, which is a big assumption there, um, you know, are they really living in God's favor? We want to be saved by God's grace and God's favor, but we want to live in God's favor. And Paul's wishing that upon us. We, we all know, you know, the difference between the brother or sister is God's grace has been upon them throughout the decades. No, they weren't perfect. But he or she, they were there when you needed them. And the guy had all kinds of back pain and injuries and this and that. And still, I'm not talking about myself because I'm a, I'm a teacher, but the guy actually worked in construction or whatever, and every morning, get out of bed, get washed up, limp to work, and work through the pain. Well, the young guys probably made fun of him. 
And then you go throughout the decades, and my dad, you know, his, his back would hurt so much, and he was an electrician, had to crawl into small spaces and stuff like that. Remained faithful to his wife throughout the decades. At the point he died, believers who understood God's will could say, look, that was a man who lived his life under God's grace. And uh, so when Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, he's not saying, look, man, I hope, you, hope you're saved. If not, I hope you get saved, and that's it. It's like, I hope God's saving grace comes upon you and you walk in the light of God and in his grace through all the days of your life. You know, I, I, I used to, God, God gave me kind of the, the, the gift of speech. I, used, I could master, even as a non-believer, I could master the sound bites. And I, could, I manipulated people. I could, I could tear up people with my words. If I, if I met guys and they were stronger than me and I knew I couldn't whoop them, I'd flatter them and then they'd whoop people for me. Okay? If I thought I could dominate a guy, I would just tear him down with my words and I would just dominate the guy. And so when I got saved, I was like, okay, there's this a lot of things that got to change. And so the first thing I started doing when I got saved was I would say, God bless you to everybody. And then when COVID happened, everybody was freaking out and afraid of a virus that was only killing people who already had really bad health issues. And we should have protected them, but we didn't. And, uh, but everybody was afraid. Well, I was afraid of the way the government responded to it. Yeah. All powerful government. So I told everybody, you know, instead of saying, God bless you, now I say, God bless you and be safe. And people are responding to that. But, but what do I mean by God bless you? It's like, you know, I, I just, what do I mean by that? Well, I want God's favor to be on them. You know, I'm, these lips here, you know, Isaiah had unclean lips. These lips here, sometimes I can't sleep at night. Because there's people, I don't even remember their names that I hurt. It wasn't people that I punched. I don't punch that hard. They don't even remember that I hit them, Okay. But with my words, how many lives have I torn up? And, you know, like Paul, none of us, we can't go back and change the past. So Paul could always, always say, I, I was the chief of all sinners. Christ came to save sinners, and I was the worst. And um, um, so now the least I can do is wish God's grace upon people. God's grace and God's peace. And you, but you, gotta, you don't just say it. You got to mean it. Okay? When I go boxing, I, God bless you, man. You be safe, I tell guys. And then as I get to know them, I tell them I love them. And I get some pretty rough guys telling me they love me, too. And um, but that's what Paul did. Paul, with his grace and peace greetings, and now he closes with the grace the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's wishing the, the blessing of God's favor upon, upon them and upon their lives. And then he says, amen, so be it. Uh, it is true. And um, where did Paul get this grace and peace? He's the apostle to the Gentiles, but the guy happens to be Jewish. 
Where did he get that? Boy, I want to peep. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And, the, you know, look how he, how he starts. Almost all of his letters, well, all of his letters he starts with. In verse 2 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Where is he getting this from? Now, keep in mind, shalom was the way the Jews would greet each other. Peace. Okay? Um, shalom would kind of be like a car running like a brand new car. Everything is, is functioning the way it's supposed to be. Okay? So, uh, so that, that's a wholeness, a wholesomeness, and a wholeness, a harmony with God, with others, with yourself. Um, but where, where, did, where did Paul get this? So the Jews, it was shalom, peace. The Gentiles, it was charis, grace and favor, okay? And um, this is like, you know, like Paul, Paul says that we're, we're to have a good reputation even with those outside the church. That means that it's not just favor with God, but also favor with man. I hope that if I ever get executed for preaching the gospel, I would hope that the guards that were leading me to be executed would say, you know what, I feel kind of bad because this was a good man. I mean, Jesus' crucifixion and Roman soldiers said, this guy must be the son of God. Okay? Um, Peter, apparently, according to church tradition, convinced the guys to crucify him upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was. Paul was leading... Uh, People in Herod's palace, uh, palace to the Lord. And uh, so where did Paul get this grace and peace? Uh, I'll tell you where he got it. Um, he got it from his Jewishness. Look at Numbers. This was the priestly blessing. Numbers chapter 6. That Paul was to give to Aaron and his sons. Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. And this is what, the, what Yahweh, God of Israel, told Mo, Moses to pass on to the Levitical priest. Now, we're, we're believers, so... We don't agree with the guys down the block about like a Roman Catholic priesthood and all. We believe in it. We're a kingdom of priests, is what Peter says. And um, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. We offer sacrifices. We're to pray for others, intercede for others. We do what priests do. We mediate for people. And, of course, the ultimate mediator, there's only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're a priesthood, and I'm, so, I'm, so I'm talking to my fellow priest here today. This is where Paul got, he was so Jewish, this is where he got his grace and peace. And this blessing says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You know, why, you know why Paul said grace and peace? He was just saving ink. Okay? This is what he wanted for people. 
this is what I should want for people. This is what you should want for people. And maybe we, maybe we can't, you know, you can't pull out a card or memorize this and tell everybody, hey, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. We don't have time to do that. They're, they're going to walk by and say, I don't know what that nut's talking about. I don't even know who he is. Okay? Now, we could say grace and peace, but America now is so biblically illiterate, they wouldn't even know what we're talking about. So when I look at this beautiful thing, I don't know. All I can do is just tell people, God bless you and be safe. And if the brothers and sisters in Christ, I could tell them, you know, you want to make sure you're not misunderstood, but I love you with the love of the Lord. Okay? And we got we to learn to love each other. We got to love, we got to learn to love each other the way Paul loved the Thessalonians. Because it is getting hot in the kitchen. And we're not going to be able to be as picky about who our friends are. And so don't grow weary in doing good. Even when persecution comes, you rest in God's peace and God's grace. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.